0: we This is John,
1: this is Trav, and this is Richard. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of finding yourself in the middle of an immense landscape and not knowing where you are. But wait, we've got this thing. They're called maps. How do you fold this thing, Martha? (sighs) This week, we're talking about how maps can be used in your game uh, for, you know, not just the obvious reasons, okay, but also, you know, as a means of driving uh, the story, as a means of discovering new locations, as things of informing the GM about how areas interact with each other, Um, important things, uh, and some things that probably aren't so important. But John's going to tell us all about that. What is it, John?
0: Most people will imagine, you know, the, you know, the good old d dungeon map or you know, the or the combat map you use for, for things, and these are valid maps. But there's other reasons why you have maps, especially in games like Fringeworthy or in uh, Hardwood Hinterland or in games like Incursion, you have maps that basically define things such as the geopolitical realm of, of a place. If you're, you know, going to Pax Romano, you want to know who, you know, what is the actual extent of the Roman of the Roman Empire, and who are, and where are the other empires on this on that world? You know, or you or or if you're on the um, Golden Horde, how far really has the Golden Horde reached on that world, and where are those places you got to worry about going if you went for a visit, or or in some cases, you know. How, how you know, are we there yet? And and you're not quite sure because your map doesn't really tell you. When you were traveling
1: on the Oregon Trail, or before there was an Oregon Trail, across the territories of the southeast in your Ticonderoga wagon, okay, I mean, maps were important because maps showed you things that made your life either continue or stop. Because they showed things that were really important to success or failure of your mission. For example, where's the water? Uh, where is there a pass that allows you to go through an area in the winter or close to the winter? Where are is there a place where you can perhaps cash supplies or have cash supplies? Okay, and we talk about that in the fringe maps too. The fringe maps... Occasionally, we'll talk about how this place is, uh, you know, uh, is going to be, is being developed as an IDET location for keeping supplies. Okay, but has anybody ever actually laid out the map and said, okay, how far is it between these caches, these places where we're creating? you know, spots for people to get re-equipped, get their vehicles fixed, just, you know, fallback points in case of uh, war on the Fringe Pass against the pirates. A lot of that hasn't really been thought out or planned. And uh, I don't think that uh, Richard, when he designed the Fringe Maps, really did that. Did you, Richard?
2: Yes, I did. We figured exactly uh, how far would you go in a day? You know, how, you know, a thousand miles, that kind of thing. Um, Well, what was your decision? What was our decision? How far would you go in a day? Uh, five hundred to to a thousand miles. I've done it myself. Okay. And then we would have stations, and we would have small encampments. Some of them hidden, some of them not. Okay.
1: So you're saying that every that uh, when you look on the uh, alternate uh, uh, locations on your fringe maps, every five hundred to a thousand. Miles, you're gonna you intentionally put a uh, a pocket stop, or you put a location that you said was uh,
2: an IDET uh, supply station, or IDET friendly. Okay, there's a few worlds, a few places, a few garages out there, uh, different cultures. But once they incorporate themselves into the, uh, you know, into the community coming in from somewhere else. They're more than happy to trade for huge amounts of silver or gold.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's about every every 10, if you do a primary amounts, it's about every, approximately every 10 uh, nodes then.
2: That yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, I've driven seven hundred to a thousand miles on a day, and after that, I really want to sit down and say, "I want a hot cup of coffee or a, you know, a good dinner," and I'm just going to relax.
0: And those I did friendly pocket stops to the places you want to stop at to get that coffee or or chicory or whatever they happen to have. Yeah,
1: because
2: they might not have coffee. You know, there's little references you'll notice all the way through a place like Girdnog's Garage. You know, basically you stop, you have a couple of sandwiches. If you had any problems, you talk to them, and uh, they speak something close to English, or you can translate and uh, take it from there. And you pay them with silver, and they're very happy to get silver.
0: And that's one kind of map. Right? Our node, the, the node maps in Fringe Reader is, is one kind of map. It's actually more of a travel map than anything else, really. Right, because it doesn't tell you really anything about what's on those
1: worlds. Most of the descriptions on the fringe maps are very sketchy. It's really more like if you go to the portal, this is what you see. Uh, it's not really telling you about the world and and its its breakdown.
2: Which would which would uh, which would require three to four thousand pages and several <laughs> several catalog volumes
3: to expand on the worlds. And I, we left it for the GM just for the pure fun. Each portal would be its own book, yeah. Because even on a prime, the eight portals that go around that prime each area is going to be different and just yeah i'm not uh,
1: complaining i'm not criticizing richard i'm just saying is it it makes a lot more sense if you think about the fringe paths as as you said a kind of uh here's you know th- this this is what you find at the off ramp of your inter
0: interdimensional superhighway yeah also also the the node maps i mean I can imagine this as a as a three ring binder you know you're on you're driving around you you don't got a computer Unless you're unless you're Victorians and you got Babbage in the back, but even then, uh, still, you still you you need you need that three you need that three ring binder with the with the maps on. It. Well, actually, at least with the diagram or maybe just a list, but it's sort of a map. It's it's what I call the, uh, an unmap. It, it doesn't look like a map, but it's a map because that's what it does. It tells you where to go you know, where places where things are. And, you know, the three ring binder of known places is really important. And you may actually want to leave it on the platform just to keep it safe. You, you lose that and you lose You might actually forget where things are on other platforms.
1: Well, hopefully you made a backup of, it of some kind. I, I never cease to amaze me how people never seem to have backups of important things. I mean, just take photos of it if you have to. I mean, and you know multiple devices, just crazy stuff like that.
0: Spent 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 about ten minutes at the copy machine at Hatsumi Base, and you got yourself another copy of the of the of the book. Right, know. but I mean,
1: like for example, you can you know you can color code the sheets so that every time that there is a uh, a place where you have like a, a, a an equipment dump, you use a different color. And then that way, when you're looking at your binder, you can see, you know, how often the the breaks are. And and because the fringe paths are so evenly distanced, then it it actually makes sense. You'll see a pattern, or if you don't see a pattern, maybe you might see a hole where you need a, a new one put in. Or something you know because like that sometimes they, they go away sometimes bad things happen on these worlds that you go to and you may lose a, 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 a an equipment depot uh, and you might need to restore it because you know it's it needs to be there
0: yeah, and what we're talking you here is we're talking in-game maps basically the the node map and so forth I would consider a player character map rather than a player map because this is what your player character would have you know, on that world. This is what he has to refer to. Then the player maps are something a little different. Player maps are basically, you know, along the line of uh, when you step through, you have this, oh, I have this great little uh, map I've done in hexes or in squares, and here's everything. Well, no. Uh, this is where getting big sheets of paper or cardboard, and you step through, the, and you step through, and all you see is what you can, is basically as far as the tree line, and that's it. And the rest gets uncovered as you go along. You know the old fog of war,
1: unless you send up some kind of a of a you know a device, you know to to with some mapping software in it to go and give you a nice little map.
0: Well, mapping software, a lot of the mapping software we have right it has to be something specially written then because most mapping software we have depends on GPS these days. So you we're talking custom custom written software that probably depends uses in a, a a inertial compass. To keep track of where everything is. Maybe,
1: but it could also be done with a couple of uh, radio sources um, and using signal strength from those radio sources to set a point that you base it all on. I mean, it, I, I know guys over at my son's school that could do that.
0: Yeah, or both. I mean, you basically you want to have more than one way to, to validate that, that location. So having both the two radio sources and an inertial compass Helps you validate where that location is. So, instead, instead, of being, instead of being a day's walk, it may be a day and a half walk. Right. Okay. So, I mean,
1: so that's important when you when you start a map. The first thing you want to do is you want to set the points on the map that are permanent. That you know you can, you can identify, so you can everything else is going to be in some reference to that. It's like you look at the old maps in the 1800s, you know, you had like this mountain, that river, whatever, and then everything else after that could be a little loosey-goosey because you had these other points of reference that you always could tell, you know, where you were on the map pretty
3: good. A good thing to have with the landmarks is things you know that can't be moved or easily destroyed. A forest is... Yeah, if you put a forest on a map, that can be shrunken and taken down. Back in the 1880s, it was a little harder to move a mountain or a river. Now we can do it. We have construction explosives and all that. But back in like the 1880s, you know, Lewis and Clark and the Oregon Trail, you knew the mountains and rivers were going to be there. Trees, not so much sometimes actually they would tend to use the the mountains because well
0: th- thanks to the mississippi we all knew that the rivers tend to change their banks a lot so rivers not so much but basically mountains mountains and and large hills
3: or something like that but still how do you i i i think all of us have crossed the mississippi the four of us at one time or another how do you misplace a river like that <laughs> Just, it's like damn the river was right here no <laughs> you can remember a good
0: portion of the mississippi is managed Actually, they have bedding down on the bottom of the Mississippi to keep it from actually changing its bed. It is the most, mat- one of the more, more managed rivers in the world. Uh, we, make, we keep it from deciding to go, like right right now, if it wasn't for a, a, a major amount of uh, earthworks and so forth and a, and a dam, it'd be, fla- it'd be going down the Akalacha a- 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 River instead and leaving uh, New Orleans high and dry. Uh, We're keeping it from changing its bed. It wants to change its bed.
3: Well, yeah, but I mean, still, it's going to be pretty constant, even back in the 1880s. And just so, yeah, you could use a river as a landmark besides the mountains. And just back in the 1880s, we didn't have GPS. We didn't have all the stuff. You know, it was pretty much eyeball, draw it. And even then, it's like, okay, it's not... 500 miles, it might be this many days or weeks walk from the river due east, and then you'll hit these hills. You know, they were still not exactly exact. So, which character in your group has knowledge cartography or knowledge
0: surveying? Because that's the skill you're talking about. Unless you've got software to do it. Unless you got software to do it. But even then, you know, making sure the software is doing it right. Or you're, or you're using the software right. I mean, I, I, they've been doing a lot of construction up and down my, uh, uh, my area lately, and it's been, they've been surveying the heck out of the place. And I even talked to the guys, and they say, yeah, the software does a lot of the work for you, but you still, but you still gotta know what you're doing, otherwise you get nonsense of your surveying. So you still need that knowledge, even though you, you got software to make it easier for you. I love making really
1: ugly maps for people to, uh, to work with when they come to worlds. What, where, what, you know, where's this place? Well, it's kind of over here in this direction. And, and, uh, there's a whole bunch of, uh, wild animals, you know, that seem to be in this area because you can hear a lot of noise and stuff. And, and over here, you can hear the sound of a river. I mean, uh, it could be a big river, small river, kind of hard to say. And w- way into distance, you see a big mountain with snow on the top of it.
0: There you go. Yeah, I mean that's where you get the 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 Astrolabe app for your for your handheld device so you can shoot a star and figure out where you are. If you're, if you're you know uh, of course all that gives you is your latitude, not your longitude. So at least you know, okay, we could be in North America, Europe or Siberia, but we're definitely not in the South, not in South America. Right. Well, I don't
1: think anybody really cares that much about where your exact location on the planet is initially, okay? I mean, like you're saying, what is the purpose of these maps? I mean, if you, if the point of it is for you to navigate, for example, between two portals, okay, then that's important to know exactly where on the world you are. But if all you're trying to do is trying to find, you know, the lay of the land, let's say for the near couple hundred miles, then you don't need to know all that.
0: Though, uh, Well, when I ran my when, when doing the play test game for Savage Fringe Radio, they the team traveled from the warp to the Khan's uh, palace. It was a 300-mile trip, and none them ever said they were mapping their way because they are going on a road, and I just waiting for them. someone to ask you about, you know, uh, so how do we get back? And I point out, you know, there's many roads leaving the Khan's, the Khan's palace. Which one did you come on again? <laughs> Because they didn't map their, they did not map their way there. They didn't sit there and actually take shots and see where they were. So if they, if they didn't know which way they're going, because
3: I'd say it, it all looks the same. Yeah, the Mongolian steps. Yeah, it's pretty much well dirt and maybe a hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to Google Earth. You get
0: get a copy of Google Earth, and you can actually go. You can actually set so you go to the to ground level, so you can look around. And I looked around in the middle of the steps and realized you can't tell where the heck you are here. <laughs> There's no landmarks. You can get
2: lost here even if you had a map. Which means that you're going <laughs> to need to invent something called ground transponders. You punch it in like a landmine and it gives you a signal.
0: Actually, one of the characters, he had to go back for something. He actually had to go back to Earth Prime to get something. And he realized, driving back, that he, 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 I had him making knowledge rolls to remember how to get back. And he realized I best get some sort of beacon or something to leave at the at the port at the warp.
1: Yeah, we talked about this way back in the beginning. We and under um, communication, and that's one of the things we suggested a solar powered transponder that would, you know provide a, a, either a constant signal or one that would broadcast a couple of t- uh, times a day at certain at set times so that you could l- uh, listen for it and that way they could, could they could have a more powerful uh, signal and not run the battery flat
2: and the fact is with worlds that don't have any kind of communications or radio or anything else the signal would be much clearer
0: I think part of the problem with the Mongol Empire is that their idea of a map is not our idea of a map. So even you ask for a local map, what you get may not may not be useful at all. It may just be – it may be a what's called – I think it's called a travel map, or there's another name for it. But basically all it is is, like, distances between cities. And it's more or less a linear map. It doesn't show you where you have to make turns and so forth, but, you know – because it assumes that hey you know where you're going you're just using this to keep reference where you, where you need to go so it's more like a, a train map
1: yeah like a train map they just they they show the distances between cities on those but they don't talk about you know like how what mountain ranges you have to go through or what rivers you have to ford it's just distance
0: yeah, or or they might they may have landmarks on it. You know, you know, you, you, when you get to this landmark, you you make a southerly southerly trek of ten miles before you hit you catch you make another turn here and head head uh, east again for another uh, another fifty miles or whatever the, the unit of measure is on that world. So yeah, it, it's it, but it may still be a straight line on the map, but it has instructions for turning here and there. But you know, it's meant to be like a scroll. You just scroll it out as you go along, keeping track where you are. And these are used today. I mean, I, or at least within the past hundred years, I have a wonderful travel map of the, of the countryside in England. And I, I went and looked at the, where the cities were. It was like they're all over the place. But you look at the travel map, <laughs> it's a straight line. <laughs> yeah. So there you're depending on the, on the, on the roads they have. And they, in a, in, and they would have roads by, by this time. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but also, the, you know, like I said, the, the, you know, there's other, but besides that, there's, you know, uh, if you're talking about the political maps, uh, a lot of people will, you know, will ask for, okay, who's in charge? Where, you know, where are the, where are the polities, you know? And I would say, I, I mean, I looked at, I decided to do a quick search and I found Ro- Roman maps, but you went looking at them going, they got the Mediterranean really well. The rest
3: of the world, not so much. Coastlines are really easy to do. I mean, you just if, if waterways were always the borders of nations or mountain ranges were often. So, it's the dotted lines we have now, that's all geopolitical, you know, modern western invention. Back in those countries around 2000 years ago, yeah, it was all rivers and seas and mountains were the borders and just that's how the how it was. Now,
1: the one thing you have to be real careful about with geopolitical maps, especially military maps, is you want to be careful whether or not you're going to get caught with those. Because people who have those kinds of maps, they tend to be thought of as spies. Yeah. (laughs) huh.
0: Especially if they're if they're fairly
1: accurate, a lot of maps are made intentionally wrong to confuse invaders. And here you go walking around with your your accurate map
2: <laughs> printed on your laser printer. Have you ever seen Google Earth over Alice Springs in the base that's actually there? You won't.
0: <laughs> Interesting enough, it does show up in Google Maps, though. Yeah, it depends. Also, if you go to different maps, also I think Terra Server will have a, also has a satellite maps, and they they show a lot of things that they shouldn't show.
1: You, let's say you're an explorer, okay, because we're kind of talking about using it in Fringeworthy. So you're an explorer, and so you're you're going to want to indicate on your maps where a bandit camp is or where there's a defensible place that might have a good supply of, of wood that could be used to make into some kind of a fort. Uh, you might want, you want to mark on your maps where water supplies are, especially good water supplies. You'd want to be able to mark trails where you could avoid having to go up, you know, 500 vertical feet. I have a lot of Boy Scout maps which are the reverse because they love to send the boys up vertical lifts of 500 feet. (laughs) It's intentional. <laughs> it's a challenge, you know, and I'm like going, man, you know, that's not what our forefathers did maps. They were like, no, let's circle around this and go someplace where I'm only going up, you know, a, a grade, you know, maybe a five degree grade instead of this 60 degree nonsense that uh, that's
0: uh it's, you know, dead man's hill. <laughs> I mean, one benefit is that, you know, most of these earths are, well, earth. And for the most part, you can use Google Maps.
1: I disagree. I don't see that at all, John. I mean, come on, we have
0: done so much to modify the landscape of our world. I, I that I agree. Yes, that that is true. We have we have changed. Like you know, show you up in Manhattan Island back in those say the eleven t- hundreds. Yeah, your map of Manhattan is really going to be wrong. <laughs> I live
1: on Valley Stream Drive, John. It's a hill. Okay. There is no stream here. None. Zero. I mean, the only time there's a stream here is when it rains and the water pours down the road.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we get a lot of changes like that. I mean, if the historical map, this is where I would say I almost want to say getting a set of historical maps helps out a lot too, but only as as their accuracy because mapping sometimes is not very accurate in some of the older maps.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like up in here in, uh, near Pontiac. They they paved over the entire Clinton River, which was a major waterway, and now it's it, it disappears at one set of uh, concrete and appears on the other side, and God knows what's in between under under that city. Pipe, pipes, the Morlocks, yes. Well, I think Morlocks would be a good term.
1: Yeah. Well, Richard, we are discovering with the use of ground penetrating radar that. Uh, we're actually being able to discover the locations of places in our past that have literally been covered over by construction.
2: Oh, the the, the cities in Turkey, ten thousand BC, that that knocked a lot of people uh, just basically flat. Predated the Egyptians, and they're beautiful. They're circular structures, and there's a bunch of them, mm. and they're now opening up one of them and uh, to show. And basically, megaliths, carvings, everything, and the people simply covered them in with sand and just walked away. And nobody knows who the hell it was.
0: Well, I read about that. They may actually be ceremonial centers, but still, they're amazing because of the amount of the the the, the, the beautiful stone working they did with it. I mean, these guys knew how to work with stone, which means they they probably these are probably later edifices. They may actually be other places that we don't know about that are they even older. Than these places because they knew how to work with stone, but with this ground-penetrating radar, sometimes
1: you can see that a location that's has uh, has been built and has contracted and expanded over time. There may be buried, but not necessarily un, you know filled in of. Uh, sections of the city that might be accessible to you if you wanted to bypass, let's say, the walls. There might actually be some some water routes. There might be some sewer lines. There might be literally uh, uh, living structures that you could go from place to place. Uh, they used to have a lot of that in New
0: Orleans with their underground New Orleans. Oh, yeah, and here in Seattle, too. Oh, I'm thinking of actually Herculaneum. Of Herculaneum uh, was buried, and the, and they were doing some digging, and, and someone broke into basically a house that had basically did not collapse under under the the lava flow that came that hit Herculaneum.
2: Actually, Herculaneum was a pyroplastic flow and just ash. No, none none of them really got a major lava flow. Like they depict, you know, inaccurately.
0: Yeah, but it basically was it was, a, it was a rich guy's place, so it was actually really well built, and they broke through, and woof, we have this big open space. We're talking like it should have collapsed, it didn't, and it's like one of the major finds. I forgot, I forgot who they called it after, but yeah, you can look it up, you know, and of course there is also the Buried City in Santorini. Yeah, well, half of
2: a Buried City.
0: <laughs> All right, half a Buried City, yeah. Right, but you got to have the technology
1: to be able to do that. And so again, what you know, when you talk about creating maps, you also have to bring with you the software, the hardware, in order to create these kinds of maps and make these kinds of discoveries. So you need, you're going to need your ground based, you know, radar uh, uh, or, or uh, radio marker. You're going to need some kind of a drone or a plane uh, uh, that can do ground penetrating radar because, you know, that takes a lot of power. And it's, you know, I don't, th- I don't think it can it's, it's a small drone. I mean, it would have to be a
0: pretty big drone, I think, to cover that. A large ROV, would you'd need one of those. Where basically, someone flies it from the ground. Uh, be honest. That'd be the safest way because you is not you. Not everyone gets a pilot, but you know you put enough smarts in the uh, ROV, it can fly mostly by itself. You're just guiding it where to go.
1: Okay, yeah, but you're not really explaining, John. How big is a big ROV?
0: Uh, let's see, uh, if you if you go at some of the existing ones, they can be upwards the size of a Cessna or larger. Okay.
1: So, I mean, is that what it takes for ground-penetrating radar, or could you have something closer to, uh, let's say, a six-foot-wide donut?
2: Actually, a four-foot-by-four-foot donut. I watched them use them. Or or a box. And they run them them them. on two wheels, and they they simply run them across uh, paleontological sites.
1: Well, I figured it would be a lot easier to track if you were – you know, if you had it in the air, I mean, or on a grid rather than running it over things that would kind of mess with that. But, you know, hey, I mean, if you got a good enough um, radio uh, anchoring kind of thing going on, you could still be able to track exactly where you are. So so this sort of thing should be available uh, in uh, your Fringeworthy campaign. Would it be available in the early campaign or would you have to wait to the middle pa- campaign to get this?
0: I have, I just found a picture of a Predator drone. Ah, thank you. We all know what they look like, and it's outfitted with ground-penetrating radar. Okay.
2: And about the size of a Cessna.
0: Yep, about the size of a Cessna. Yeah, that's a pretty big drone. So, Yeah, so, which means you probably would have to actually clear a landing strip for it, be able to, to make use of it.
1: Or you could lift it with a balloon. We've talked about this before, too.
0: Yep, that's true, too.
1: So, But, uh, Richard, uh, what do you think? Uh, Early campaign, middle campaign? Or would you have to wait clear to the late campaign before this would actually become
2: practical? I would say middle. If if we've got them now, then the technology exists, and uh, I still think it would be not as good right now as it could be. But uh, 10, 15 years, uh, maybe a lot better.
0: Well, it could be faster than that because we're bringing tech in off the, off the fringes, too. It might even just be five five years. I mean, before then, we we're going to actually have folks out there with, with uh, at least with small drones that have like a, a one-mile radius uh, operating area, just mapping the local area.
2: With a predator-type drone, you can map areas and you can keep mapping them and you can really do some amazing work as long as you get a station going and uh, the the drone circles and expanding and an expanding ring.
0: Better yet, you get yourself a lighter-than-air uh, craft equipped with, with what you need. Just go up there and buy itself and just go. Solar-powered, keeps on going, doesn't need to land.
1: Well, that would definitely be middle campaign to late campaign because that kind of AI is not currently
0: available. But actually, that's actually fairly simple. You say that. Yeah, yeah. It depends on whether or not there's a minute. Yeah, you know, yes. When I mentioned the inertial compass, you should always have an inertial compass because you're not you're not guaranteed the Earth you're on may actually have a usable magnetic field for you to work with in your compass.
1: And when you say inertial compass, you mean a gyroscopic compass, correct?
0: That's correct, yes. It, it always points, points back to wherever you set it to. So if you set it to the portal, it always points back to the portal.
1: Well, it points in the direction that you start it up in. Okay, I mean that's, I mean they've been used in airplanes for a very
0: long time. Yeah, and it's a, it's a you know known technology. You just got to keep it running all the time. That's right. All.
1: Yeah, you got to keep it. You know, and, but they do tend to drift after a certain period of time. So you have to. That's you know one reason why everybody was happy to run you know change over to the GPSs because they were more accurate and you didn't have to calibrate them.
0: Which means you, if you, if you, since we don't have GPSs, you should carry two or three. That way you have – you can always just sort of go, okay, they all, they're all more or less pointing in that direction. So we hit that direction and hopefully we'll find the portal.
1: <laughs> well, you, what you need to do is you need to be on a world where there's actually a, you know, a, a magnetic field. You know, and then yeah. every so often you go and take a true compass reading and you make sure that, you're, you're, uh, you, uh, that your
0: gyro compass is matching up to it. And sadly, your your compass app on your iPhone or your or your Android phone doesn't work because it it works off the GPS. <sighs> yeah, you need a real compass. <laughs> uh, but that's 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 mapping in game. Now, I also want to talk about other th- other kinds of maps, uh, like some of the non maps that are out there. When I say a non map, that's a, <laughs> yeah, non maps are maps. Like, uh, like in like in Fate, uh, Fate Core, and, and Fate Accelerated, uh, they don't actually use maps for things like combat. They use what's called zone maps. These are just areas, and they have uh, aspects, and they have obstacles you have to overcome to move to another zone. And they are a different kind of map. They're more freeform. Uh some cases, you know, if the GM's up for it, he can let you guys build the map, help him build the map. And having and that's the thing I like doing is player-created maps. Uh, There's a game I, I've, been, I've played before. It's called Ruyotanya. It's a Japanese uh, pastoral game where you, you're basically going out for a grand tour. But part of the rules include making the map, and everyone gets to make the map, GM and players included. And that's uh, the that's thing I, I, I like doing, and if you're on a new world, you could, you know, and the GM, you know, is sandboxing it, you could suggest within reason things that should be on the map. I would say, you know, that's, that should be well within, you know, the purview of the players. It can It can make for more fun things. You can actually, you know, have that little that little, little woodcutter shack out in the middle of nowhere, and he has no idea who the heck you are. But, yeah, he's willing to take your pots and pans because he's all he's got is clay, you know. <laughs> And gives you directions where things are. I mean, it's a lay of the land. Um, but these are, you know, uh, but also, I was talking about maps. I mean, there's, um, oh, like you're doing a chase, uh, there are lovely rules in Savage Worlds for doing chases. No map required. You're just using cards. And what the suit of the card and what the card is, determines what's ha- what happens in game. But it's a chase. And normally you do it on a map. Here, you're just doing it with cards. And that's what I say. It's a it's a map that isn't a map. You know, it's a non-map. Um,
1: it does, you're saying it doesn't refer to an actual, exact physical location.
0: That's correct. It's basically it's being made up as you as you play the cards. Something's happening, and the cards are determining what the what the environment is at that point in time. And then it's up to use GM and the players to flesh out what what's going on. You know, if you're running through the if you're running through the Casbar Casbah. And you know you're chasing after somebody, and you got a bad card. Okay, someone with a fruit cart that's pulled in front of me.
1: Well, that's not what you'd have on a map, anyways, because that's a that's a a very temporal, ephemeral
0: thing. That's correct. But you, but also you, you're not mapping the pathways of the Casbah either. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's not a map. It's, sort of, it's not a map, but it sort of functions like a map because you're using it to determine where things are. You're going to look at the cards that have been played and, and see how things have changed and gives you an idea of... Uh, of uh, it can give you the impression, at least in your head, of a, of a really complex, intricate uh, environment without having to draw it. You know, it's... it's, it's it, I call this a mental map. It makes a mental map, which is really nice. Um and you know and of course, we have other games too, you know like that are easy to map I mean hardware hingeland is one of the easiest world easiest uh, at least i would say at the geopolitical which is in this case environ's world ever the map every two every two squares you put down you draw you you basically you have a two hundred two hundred two hundred square foot air island, you know bang, 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 easiest world to the map, but then you get two hundred square mile two hundred mile, I was gonna say, yeah, and it's
1: actually four hundred square miles. Because it's 200 on a side. Once you actually get to the get there, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have looked at the maps in Hardware Innerland, and they are a great deal of frustration to me. Because they are, you know, you can't tell where the um, the, the, the PowerPoint is, because it's not on the map. You think it would be. Uh, you can't tell where the, the um, uh, Helium line is either. So... Uh, and uh, and and when I look at um, New Pittsburgh, I can't tell whether the river is going from Pittsburgh down to New Philadelphia or the opposite way. I assumed it went from P- Pittsburgh to New Philadelphia because that's the way it is in our world. But you know,
0: yeah. Oh, well, from the center, it goes both ways. I mean, <laughs> uh, so so like it's like Minecraft. There's a little there's a there's a, there's an infinite water supply in the middle just. Chucking up and running the river then which is saying
1: <laughs> well I assumed that, that 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 lake somehow drained into something uh, that's behind uh, New Philadelphia because you know, it has the water has to go somewhere I guess either that or is that's a very very slow moving river
0: And I didn't see it that way. Yeah there's a large river acro- across from New Akron there's the, the there's the uh, Detroit uh, River right by, between Windsor and uh, Detroit um yeah but uh, the thing is with those maps we have these little maps i mean they're what two inches three inches on on a a, big not much detail feel free to grab yourself a big sheet of graph paper and make a bigger map with more detail for these places and like i said it's it's real easy because it's square
2: don't forget the chaosium ring world map that you get one piece on a sheet of paper. You make, what, a hundred of them, and you do a 20-foot ring, and then you have the ring world.
0: Yep, I remember that one. Actually, talking about space, you know, because we have a game called FTL 2448. You may have heard of it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And it it basically, at the time, it had one of the more accurate maps. Uh, Well, it didn't have a map, because we never actually produced a map, but it actually had a chart. I know okay, you
2: had one, but you never published it. We couldn't publish it. The damn thing took up half the living room in five layers. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've tried mapping, and yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it's actually not as accurate as it used to be. Oh yeah, it's it's actually inaccurate. Uh, actually, uh, who was it? It was uh, no, it's Jay. Jay had asked me about where thing where plants were. I think it was for Frenchworthy. Uh, let me see if I can find that. So, no, but I was. I decided we we needed to determine where the uh where the, where the stars were. And I said, you know, I should probably check. Yeah, you know, he wanted to know where the where the stars for the various races were. Okay, I went and got him out of the book and put him down. And I said, you know, I probably should check. So I went to the Hipparchos hip, hip, hip site, which is basically it's the most current um uh. I, I, I don't want to say charts. And when I say charts, it's basically a data listings so of where things are. And I said. And started to look up, and some of the planets some of the plants have moved. Some haven't. Um, I think the Grixian homeworld moved hundred and fifty light years. Wow. Hip Hip Hipparcos Hi- Hi- was a space telescope launched by ESA to actually go up and, and map the stars. You'd get a much more accurate map because we all our prior to that, all our mapping was done from uh, the gr- from the ground through the
3: atmosphere. Yeah. And the atmosphere distorts them. Yeah.
2: From Wilhelm Gleisler in Heidelberg on star mapping. And uh, then a brand new catalog, a brand new star map, uh, like (laughs) the first one came out with three times the listings. And now it's even more.
0: Oh yeah. And uh, I'll just point you at, to the, uh, to the star map section of the project row, also the home of the atomic uh, rocket uh, page. And he actually has access to far far more accurate data. He also has links to Hipparchos because, of course, everything his data is about five years, out of, five to six years out of date already. So, if you go to Hipparchos, you can actually get the raw data and, and learn and learn about astronomy if you even really want to do an accurate map.
2: And we, we are we are only twenty years out of date now, or, or is it thirty?
0: Thirty, no. When did you make that? No, when did you make that map?
2: No, actually, twenty-five. All right, uh, we we did the first uh, star charts map after the second FDL came out, because the the theme was trust us. You'll need a map.
0: Yeah. Now the thing is, you can you can you can the has a way to, to actually deliver the data to you in a in a, in a, in a uh, form you can then bring into a spreadsheet program, either on Google Docs or in, in Office or whatever you, your choice of spreadsheet program. And then you can actually use that to build, to, I don't, I don't want to say build a map, but use it to at least determine where th- how, how far you have to go. You know, that's that's important. And you can just set up a spreadsheet for that. Uh, there's, there is star mapping software out there. There's a couple for the PC. Um, I haven't yet to find a decent one for the Mac. Uh, there's probably a version also available for uh, Linux, uh, more than likely. And they and they do include a uh, a data set for stars within 50 light years as their default. And they, and they tell you what the format is for that for the data, so you can actually can format stuff from Hipparchos or from someone else into the right format. So you can do L2, say hundred or two hundred light years. So you can map where the stars are. And from there you can you know play your game. Cause I hate to say it, you really want a 3D map for stars. Or maybe not. Because one of the maps they are available on the over at the Project Row and they're galactic maps, is I think it's called 2D plus one. What it is is a map that shows it's a it's a 2D map, but it's not a star map. It's a map of how far stars are apart from each other. So it's actually not a proper 3D map, but it's also not a proper 2D map. It's a map that, that basically Gives you, tells you, okay, it's 20 light years to this place, but it's 10 light years to this star. And you can sort of use that map to travel around. It's, it doesn't do you good if you need to travel lots of, lots of stars, then you need to go to the raw data set for that. But if you're just going from star to star, it's perfect. Um, in fact, I was just, that's the kind of map you want to use. Uh, they also have, uh, there's the, I think it's called the HabG data set. What the HabG is, it's listing of all the habitable, potential habitable stars out there. They're all type uh, type K and type G stars. These should be ones that are most like, like, most like Earth and, and and the planets they can have around them. And that's a much smaller data set. And you don't have to worry about all those little red dwarfs and, and big stars and little stars. You just worry about the stars that matter. Sort of like the way Traveler works. Traveler does not list all the stars out there. They just list the stars that have people on them. And that may maybe may way, one way to go, but that does come up with with mapping worlds. You know, even in fringe, even in fringe, weather, you can map a world because there are the eight uh, planetary port, eight stellar portals. <laughs> each one of those is each one may actually hook up to a world, and you want uh, generate that world so you can hear. You know, and there's plenty of star generation stuff out there. Um, there, I, I actually linked to a couple of my. Uh, there's one that actually generates a star, a planetary map, and you can set the parameters. Uh, there's another one out there, generate star systems. So you can actually, if you want to just randomly generate a star, I don't think you can specify what the, yes, you can. You actually can specify the star, and it's within all, within 20 light years. So it works for fringe worthy. They actually have set stars within 20 light years. So you can actually generate the solar system for that world, and then pick where you want to put things in your, in your solar map.
2: Well, there's also when you're talking about mapping, like when we did uh, when uh, we did uh, cloisters, Mm -hmm. we simply took a bought a Rand McNally and began to bomb, much like the Morrow Project, (laughs) and then set up the societies around the bombing areas. Where would be good? Where would be bad? Where would they not want to go to? No, you don't want to go to Chicago. No, you don't want to go to Toledo. You know, basically, so you'd be routing around those areas.
0: You don't want to go to Carrell Springs because
2: it won't be there. And uh, well, underground, some of it might survive. But we we had a we had a template. <laughs> we had a, we had a template for you know large, medium, and you know small miss small bombs. And uh, it actually it, it went great. It's uh, I've got the original moral map, and now I've got the more updated cloisters map here.
0: Well, you know what. We were talking about Google Maps before. There's a mashup for Google Maps that does atomic, uh, does nuclear missile strikes and tells you where the radiation would have fell, where the fallout. Yes. So yeah, if so, if you really want to know what 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 a 10, me- 10 megaton bomb does to to Tulsa, Oklahoma, you can find out.
2: Oh, I do. We we did one that it was uh, Detroit and how how it affected Pittsburgh. Was it, or it was uh, it was uh, Toledo, one of the two. And, uh, it'll follow all patterns, but everything's changing. Missiles are smaller and more accurate.
0: Yeah, the, the, even the, the, the data set includes the Zara Bomba.
2: Ew! That was the biggest bomb ever detonated.
0: It actually includes both the, the one they actually detonated, the, the 50 megaton, and the 100 megaton version, which never, never, ever got...
2: They, I think the 50 scared them enough.
0: Well, first of the fifty filled up basically when they dropped it. The, the airplane rose like like a hundred, like a thousand feet after dropping it.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, they're lucky they were that year; they made it through it.
0: Well, it was a it was a size of a size of a small van.
2: Well, I've I've got a lovely picture of the artist Bill Wardrop sitting on top of an H bomb down in the Colorado Museum.
3: <laughs> yeah, I've met Bill. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, mapping worlds—you know, mapping a worlds again—another different is another thing, and uh, where things go. I mean, some of these mapping software just—they'll give you this really crazy-looking map when you generate the world, and you gotta go, okay, uh, there's no grid lines, and what? I mean, uh, there's—I I actually have a bunch of links for stuff, and I'll post the one I like the best. But there's also an app out there called Hexagrapher. Um, it's an app that basically generates hexagon map, uh, hex maps for places. It includes a random a random map generator. so you can actually you can, and you can specify what the place what the parameters. Lots of water, not so much water, so whatever. so you can actually generate a map and you can set the size, whatever and I've used I've used it to generate maps for uh, other games. Uh, they have another. They, they actually have a map, another mapping program that isn't working right now, but it did it did world generation. Uh, it sort of works, kinds of work. Uh, they haven't updated lately. Uh, but I'll put a link in that into the notes for it when this gets available. Um, it's Hexagraph. It's a nice little tool. Uh, it, it has a whole bunch of icons, and if you pay the money for it, you actually get access to a lot more stuff in the full version. But the free version works just fine. Uh, of course, then of course we have to talk about camping cart- cartographer, the granddaddy of them, uh, doesn't run on the Mac unless you run, uh, emulation software, but, uh, but it's like the, the go-to, if you want to generate maps of all kinds, that's one that it's one to go to because it, because there's a whole, these a whole load of plugins you can get for it. Uh, the generate cities, generate, I mean, cities are, you know, that's one of my bailiwicks is generating a decent city. Because most times I'll see people with their randomly generated cities, and I go, and that's a city built in the 1950s or 60s, because it's all on straight lines. For the most part, cities that have been there for 100 years don't got straight lines. You know, I think Baltimore, Boston, yeah, there's, you can tell where the bits grew up and they haven't straightened out yet, because they're all goat
2: paths. And D.C. with the circles, traffic circles, which are ancient, but they're still a uphand- pain. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: I, I've been over in Europe, and yeah, uh, I've been in Europe, I've been to Germany, and I've been to places where, yes, it's, it's a maze. You know, the, the streets are just wide enough for one Peugeot
2: to go down, and that's it. And in England, say It was you couldn't even get cars down some of the old, old, old streets.
0: It didn't help for the longest time that they... St- had kept the street signs down from World War II, because that's what they did back in World War II. They took down all the street signs and the countryside, so you wouldn't know. I think recently that's been taken care of. They actually put the street signs up in most places, but for the longest time, if you were driving around and you didn't know where you were, you wouldn't know where you were because there was no street signs, or at least on, on country roads, you'd have to ask me, where, to, where, do, I get, where do I go again? <laughs> or you have a map. Oh, you have a map you have a choice of two different dirt paths to turn down which one which dirt path do i turn down
1: well if it's if it's actually been drawn correctly then it should be pretty obvious
0: yep and i've had maps drawn correctly and I turned down the wrong road because either my map wasn't properly oriented or i was going a little too fast and i thought i and, and i turned down the wrong road but yeah things like that happen
2: two of the friends of the the gamers group gary and sandy were in britain they went for one town and didn't realize that the same several towns had the same name or something very close. <laughs> in the middle of the town, in the middle of the rain, not knowing where the hell to go, and they were rescued by Morris dancers, which are sort of like <laughs> science fiction fans. And uh, they actually grabbed them and adopted them and uh, got them eventually where they needed to go, but it was, it was very cute. Oh, yeah. What are we? You're, we're Morris dancers. Oh, people don't like us a lot. Yeah, we're science fiction fans. No, they don't like us either.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know we have a bunch of games that use me oh actually one game we have that makes makes good make I would say makes great use of Google Earth is weird zone okay uh, I've done several I've done a couple scenario scenarios, but i actually have a, a Sarah I ran with the uh Sunday Skypers but I also done a couple with uh, in conventions and what I do is I go okay uh where are we uh, where it's you know, like, like example, the skycap. We, we trained determine who the what the players did for a living and so forth. And they decided that they were bush. One of the guys was a bush pilot, another guy was an environmental scientist, and uh, another person was a hunter. And they are up in Alaska, and they're flying out, and they would fly out to the bush and so forth. And they're at, and they were at the hangar, a Quonset hunt hangar. So I said, okay, that's not for me. And I went looking for airports in the uh, in up in the Juneau, I think it was, or. And I found an airport with a Quonset hut, hangar. I put I put my mark in the middle, took a took a screenshot of it. You got the scale, drew the circle, bang! Everything in that map. That's what you get. To, that, that's what you get to start the game with. Everything on that circle. <laughs> there were at least three, aer- at least four airplanes, a couple cars, the building, the another building inside of that, and bang! There's the map. And it's grown over and it's grown over the, over the play it actually it, the last time we left it, it actually they actually had walls around it because they went into a uh, boot hill by uh, some uh, aliens and the hill just collapsed onto them onto their zero plot oh. which just sand, just sand and they used that to build a wall and uh, they actually have the, some of the concrete ter- torn up for a garden. So yeah, it's uh, and the map shows it. It also shows all the blood stains from the things they did, also too. So,
2: <laughs> okay.
0: No, and and the sniper's nest on top of the uh, Quonset hunt for, for the, the, the receptionist who is also a, a, her her aspect was Mama Bear and great with a gun. So she's got the uh, uh, sniper's nest up there for sure. She keeps track of things.
2: <laughs> One thing I've done is I, I ran originally it was in i think it was uh, 417 mm-hmm. and it was a i ran a template a clear and uh, like a, a uh, acetate layover and you know the same thing you can get you can get nowadays but yep. uh with a clear with a white sheet and then the white's gone and you get the black lines and you can drop those over maps any kind of map yep and uh they work great
0: when they encountered a, uh, another map, I actually went and, and took a section of New, of New York and just cut it out, and that's the map. But then I went, and because I, I, I play with things, I actually went through and de- deteriorated some of the buildings, add a lot of green stuff and so forth, and then I took the map, cut in half, and pushed it apart a little bit, and then put some dirt between. Because Richard told me one time that we can do this on your, on your zero plot, you can cut a hole, in the, you can cut a trench down the center, and then as long as the two are connected, push them apart and make your zero plot bigger. You did say that, Richard. Yes. <laughs> but it takes a lot of work, you know, and they gotta be connected to each other, otherwise you make two new zero plots. <laughs> like I said, Google Maps comes in handy for Bureau 13. I've used it I mean, I will will put my iPad, slap it down, here's the map. I don't have to do any drawing. Uh it's got a class screen. I can write on it with a uh non permanent marker if I want to. Uh and I've used that more than more often than not for for, for gaming maps. Uh, makes, cause it's happening in Seattle. Okay. Here you are. Here's the, here's the, house in Seattle. Here's the street view. You can see what it looks like. It's great. I mean, for a modern day game, Google Maps is your, is your, is makes your life a whole lot easier. You just got to learn how to use the uh, bookmarking feature in Google Maps. So you can bookmark various areas. And then, you know, you can do the, as long as there's a street view, you can show them what the house looks like from the street. When my friend, my Savage Rails players were in London of 1897. I went and looked for, and I found at Mapco.net a map from London in 1897. The great little map, and you know, I discovered things like I never knew that Sherlock Holmes's house, you know, place 222, you know, 22B Baker Street, was right next to a tube station. You know, which made getting around a lot easier. You know, when the. Uh, the They got involved with Sherlock Holmes on that world. But it's a great map, and and I remember comparing it to a modern-day map and realized, oh, there are streets that do not exist anymore in London. Either that, or they moved. And then I could share it with my... We're doing this online, so I could share it with my players so they can look at it, too, and see, oh, wow, here we are. And they could plot where they wanted to go in old London. Oh, and also, if you're dealing with old old maps, especially if you're going to places where it's, you know... Within recent time, I think within, I'd uh, say about two hundred years, three hundred years is about as far back you can get with accurate maps, or at least somewhat accurate maps. Uh, you can you can at least show where what places looked like and how what the geopolitical was like, say in Africa and during the uh, middle eighteen hundreds. It's radically different than it is today. But what I really like though is the Library of Congress map server it has these maps that go back to like the first map it ever having in the collection. And uh, this is where I think inspiration comes in handy. Cause uh, you've probably all seen this map before. It's a map of, of the, of the earth, the new world. And what I love to call Isla de California, California as an Island. Okay. I ran a, a, a alternate history game, uh, online, It wasn't fringery, but it was a, a different, similar concept in some ways. But uh, one of the places that, that, that was in there was Isla de California. It's a place where California is an island. And there's this inside, inside uh, strait that allows you to travel from Mexico up to at least to uh, San Francisco without being on the Pacific Ocean. And that me- makes it a major trade route through the area. And in uh, California, it's a republic, independent republic. A lot they they still have, but it also has some protected craters. They still have saber saber tigers. They didn't die out on this one. <laughs> so yeah, you can imagine going to some Don's house and outside are a pair of tamed saber saber tooth tigers going, good boys. <laughs> But it's a it's a great way to get inspirations because you look at these old maps and you you see how they were originally drawn. Sometimes it gives you the stepping off point for a a different world that your players can go to. You know, there there are some maps that show North America still attached to uh, Russia in some of these older maps. That's a great jumping off point for a world where hey, what if here's a world where Russia is still attached to where Siberia is still attached to Alaska. There's no land bridge. What would that do? One, it makes some changes in the currents, so the weather there is going to be a little bit different. Uh, It's definitely going to make for a colder pole because it's not getting any warm water up there at all. But it does mean the southern edges of that landmass is going to be warmer because you get the ocean currents going around that at that point, warming it up. So it actually may be an open land bridge year-round across. How does that affect things? I mean... um, Basically, the new world's are already been discovered, and I think you would see a, a radically different world at that point.
2: Uh, you could see a closer United States and Russia that never fought. Communism probably never came up. Well, would there even be a United States? The English pushed. The Portuguese didn't. It was all, That was entirely political, what happened.
1: This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds
0: out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the
3: game, hate the players.
2: This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next.
3: And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.
0: Yo, brothers. This was the tri tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers.